I'm Johnny. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here. It's really nice to have you. Thank you for coming on this killer day, right? It's a beautiful morning to worship God together. Uh, sometimes a perspective, you know, uh, being out in God's creation together as a family uh, is very nice. We've been going through the book of Acts. We've gone through chapters one through seven, and I want to just give us a really brief thing. Chapters one through seven are a period of testing for the church. The early church is the resurrected Christ. He's ascended, right? And so we're going to do rapid fire. We're just going to remind ourselves of a couple things, and then we're going to jump into Acts chapter eight. Jesus is taken up into heaven, and before he goes, he says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses, right? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. It goes along with Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then they replace Judas, right? The Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter addresses the crowd. He gets in a bunch of trouble and he says, look, I'm sorry about that, but I got to preach Jesus. And the believers enjoy this type of fellowship that we struggle to know sometimes, right? This is a description of what happened. He heals a crippled beggar on the way to the temple and he gets in trouble again. They come before the Sanhedrin and they tell him where salvation is found in Jesus and no one else. They talk about prayer and they share their possessions. And then Ananias and Sapphira, you remember that one? Nobody wants to remember that one. That's a <laughs> Nobody wants to be Ananias and Sapphira. But this is where we were in chapter five and we talked about their hearts. And then they chose the seven and we talked about Stephen through six and seven. And Stephen was chosen along with who we'll talk about today, Philip. And he had specific qualifications for being chosen. He was full of grace and full of truth and wisdom, but more than that, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he fulfilled what God asked him to do because of that thing. And he ends up giving this long speech also to the same people who crucified Jesus, the same people who had given everybody so much trouble, Peter and John and now Stephen. And we talked last week about how they how they killed Stephen because he proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. And there was a man there. You remember who the man was that was there? I know this is elementary for some of you, but it was Saul. And this is where we jump in today. We're entering in chapters eight through 12 are really a period of transition, right? And so what we see is this transition from God speaking to the people of Israel and there's a transition from Israel to Samaria, to the Gentiles. Samaritans were in the middle, part Jew, part Gentile, right? And the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other, right? Those who were of Jewish descent, in their minds, purebred, hated the Samaritans and vice versa. The Samaritans did not like them either. A number of years ago, uh, I was sat in an office with a mother whose daughter was off the rails, and she was doing things that upset the mom and that were destructive to herself. And all she wanted to do was get her daughter baptized. She said, I've got to get her in the water because if I get her in the water, then maybe the demons will come out. She wasn't concerned about dealing with the things. She wanted something that would quick and easy maybe give an appearance of a fix. If I just do this thing, It'll fix all the other things. But there was no 
dealing with the root problems. We didn't have a conversation about why she was doing that. We weren't having a conversation about the broken home that, they were, that she was from. We didn't talk about those things. And over the years, some of you have seen, and I know I have seen, that Jesus has been used, this, this place, the pulpit or the platform, has been used for people to be seen rather than to make Jesus known. Right, and we, we, this, this happens a lot. Oh, there's power in the gospel, and sometimes, I'm not saying any of you or maybe any of the pastors you've ever had, but sometimes people can see the power of God and want to try to take hold of it for their own self-promotion. And we're going to find that this happens today, and it can be confusing. Right, how many people, students, we have students and kids here, so this is, this is easy. All the kids were like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Right? There's a lot of people who they go, to, they go to church all the time. They sing. They know all the words of the songs. They said a prayer at some point. They might have even got dunked. I refer to that on purpose. But their hearts are full of deceit and selfishness and pride. And it's confusing. And those are just the adults the students know. Never mind, student culture, being a Christian and a student is very difficult, especially if you're talking about living a life of sacrifice and surrender, right? Following Jesus and not the world. You know how hard it is to grow up as a student right now? The things that are pulling them, and I know that we, my, my age group, also had those same things pulling and tugging at us. But these days, I do not want to be a student these days. To be a Christian young man or woman today is a lonely life. And it's hard to not try to take hold of the power of God on the outside, but not let it rule your inside. Whether it's the aggressive atheist or the angry agnostic, those are easy to spot. But how do you know true faith from the counterfeit? How do you know true faith from the counterfeit? And we're going to look at another Jesus worker today in the line of Stephen and Jesus and Peter and John. His name was Philip. And Philip had an interaction with three different people. One was in working for God, he thought, in Saul. One was a sorcerer named Simon, and the other, an Ethiopian eunuch. And I want you to pay attention to the difference. The, the last two are pretty easy to tell why and where they sit. But Simon... I think will reveal a few things to us that it will be important for us to understand so that as we go about being Jesus workers too, we'll be able to understand first what to give him and then why it's important to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's jump in, shall we? Chapter eight. After the stoning of Stephen, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. To this point, everything had been in Jerusalem, right? Focused on the people of Israel. Their third opportunity was their, not final opportunity, but specifically to them. This was the end of just coming to Israel. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, right? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The catalyst to them going to Judea and Samaria was intense persecution. 
And it says, godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. A quick note, there in another, other versions, it says he was ravaging the church. And the, the picture is that of a lion ripping and tearing the flesh of its prey. That's what was going on with the church. Saul was ravaging the church with persecution. He was dragging men and women off to be put into jail and if, if fit to, to kill them, right? This was what was happening, right? This would not happen in that day because Saul would be coming down the road dragging people off, right? That's what was happening on a daily basis. And he was going from house to house. What's interesting is that the church was going from house to house. Do you remember that? They were proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, not just in the house of God, but from house to house. And as they did that, Saul was on their heels trying to destroy them. That's the easy one to spot, right? Saul, the persecutor. Okay, we want to stay away from him, right? We know where he stands. So those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, wherever they went, their lives weren't compartmentalized. They didn't do it to, on the, at the outreach event. They weren't just preaching the word uh, in the church. They weren't talking to people they were hoping were Christians but weren't quite sure. It says everywhere that they went, they preached the gospel. They preached the good news. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria, right? Into basically the enemy of Israel, those who were opposed to them, they were not like them, and he proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, Philip was one of the seven. Stephen was chosen, and Philip was also part of that group. So we've already seen what happened to Stephen, a man full of grace and truth and wisdom and the spirit. They killed him and now we hear about Philip. So the gospel starts in Jerusalem and through intense persecution, intense opposition, the gospel goes out now to Samaria through Philip. And the miraculous signs, here's what you need to understand. We like signs, right? We do. We like, the, we like the outward signs of the power of God. If I only saw somebody get healed, then I would know, right? If I only saw somebody get raised to the dead, then I would be, man, I would be all in. Man, if, if I saw 15 people receive Jesus, that's what it would take. But think about this. There were people who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, saw cripples being healed, paralytics being healed, the blind be able to see, and they still struggled to have faith that Jesus was the Christ. So the signs, though they are an outward sign of the power of God, right, they're not magic tricks, right? That's not something you can manufacture. The things that Stephen did, the things that the apostles did, the things that Philip did are not something you can manufacture because they are the power of God at work in people. And I think a lot of times we, want to, we can want to take hold of that. Some people want to take hold of that. And they go, oh, I want that kind of power too. And then there's this whole idea of jealousy. 
We have a difficult time having confidence that God made us the way he made us and he made you the way he made you and we can celebrate that without having to compete with one another. Oh, well, Heath led three people to Jesus this week. I guess I'm not doing my job. Well, you know, the harvest was ripe and it was ripe for that and God used him at that time. But he might have to sit on the bench for a little while later and somebody else gets a chance. The kingdom of God is not about competition, right? It's about the power of God changing lives. See what it says. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. This is, we're not talking about sleight of hand and illusions. This was a part of this time that everybody accepted as actual practice that was given through the power of the enemy. This was not some magic. I'm, I'm, being, I'm speaking that way on purpose because we have uh, kiddos in the room. I don't want to get too graphic about it, but the, this, is, this was real. This was not some, it was not lights and smoke and magic shows that, you, that we know today, that we talk about today and dismiss as no big deal. It says that he boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. Now, there were times, you know, in Greek, the Greek world, Greek gods, they had male Greek gods, they had female Greek gods, and there was a time at this time when they started to basically say, all of these gods are embodied in one male god and all of the female gods are embodied in one female god. And they were equating him with that one god false God, and he liked it. He liked it. He liked it. He was seen as someone of power. And it says this, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere. Listen, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. A couple things that you need to, to pay attention to here. So Simon had fooled a bunch of people that he was something to be followed, someone to be seen. But it was all from the wrong place. He wasn't operating in the power of the living God, the only true and real God. He was operating as a phony counterfeit of the Greek cultural gods. And he was showing similar signs through sorcery and magic. Manufacturing the divine with the help of the enemy. It looked like power, but it was empty. And when they believed Philip, Philip came and you know what he gave him? He didn't give him anything. He gave him Jesus. He proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. He said, hey, look. All this stuff that you guys are following is false. Let me tell you about the true and real living God. Let me tell you about this Jesus that came in love to give his life for you, right? To sacrifice in your place what, and take what you deserve, which is death, right? And he proclaims the resurrection of Jesus and that through that same power, you can have eternal life if you just believe. And he's going and telling this very simple truth about Jesus and people start to believe and follow, they were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself believed and was baptized. And you're like, well, there it goes. This sorcerer came to be a believer. But you can tell true faith from the counterfeit because it's not a matter of outward appearance 
but a matter of the heart. And out of the heart, you start to see whether a life is changed or not. What was he astonished by? Was he astonished by the power of God or the work of Jesus? What was he astonished by? The signs, the wonders, the miraculous things. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word, they sent Peter and John to them. Because at this point, it was just to Jerusalem and Israel, and he goes to Samaria, and they start getting word. Hey, Samaritans are coming into the family. Our enemies, the people that we despise, that despise us, are actually coming into the family of God. So we're like, we should go check this out. So they come and check it out. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now listen, I just want to briefly sit here and we'll move on. Remember that we are in a time of transition in the church, right? If you look through the whole of scripture, there are not two baptisms. There is not a baptism and then a baptism into the spirit. The spirit comes through faith. What God was doing here is that he was helping bridge the gap between Israel to Samaria so they could go into all the world with all the Gentiles. God used this moment to bring Peter, specifically Peter, to pray for them and God allowed that to be the avenue by which they received the spirit in this instance. Then verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the spirit. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me this ability also so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive, my, receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon the sorcerer is like, oh, this is the first understanding that he has not actually come to the feet of Jesus and laid his life down. He is still looking for the ability to be seen as someone strong and powerful. See, Philip came and took away his glory. So he's like, oh, I'll believe in this. Yeah, that's cool. I'll get baptized. But the scripture says he offered them money. He decided to try to pay for the power of God. He tried to get something with money that you can only get through surrender. And this is how we know that he had not given his life to Jesus. There was no change. He was still looking for prominence and position. Peter answered this. After Ananias and Sapphira, by the way, I don't know. I probably wouldn't want to, you know, like, do something like this. Part of you starts reading, you're like, well, here we go. Stop. He's next. He's waiting for him to get struck down. And what he says is, Peter looks at him, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray, for, uh, pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. What's revealed in this moment is that his heart is still full of sin and bitterness and um, the desire for uh, people to see him and not to see Jesus. There was no repentance. He believed, but there was no repentance. And as he's encouraged to repent of his sin and pray to the Lord for forgiveness, right? This is actually the procession. This is what precedes salvation. Faith and repentance and surrendering our life and asking God for forgiveness. And here's what he does. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. 
So this is Simon the sorcerer. That's the second, the second person that he interacts with. He, he interacts with the lion in Saul because that's how the enemy came as a lion trying to ravage the church. But the scarier one is the serpent. The enemy came as a serpent trying to look like he was part of the flock, but he wasn't. And had they not caught this, that could have permeated the entire church and, and stopped it before it started. And they dealt with this stuff all throughout the history. And we'll get to it as we read. And then Philip meets somebody else. So Philip's in this public setting. He's in the church in the big gathering, right? Where he has the opportunity to be seen and known. This is Philip the evangelist. Philip is the one who's proclaiming Jesus. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, hey, I need you to leave this gathering. Go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He didn't say to go to mile marker 37, right? He didn't say, I want you to stop at the, uh, you know, uh, you know, the little, the little, the store there on the corner, right? He said, I just want you to head out on this road. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now he could have said, hey guys, and kept on walking, right? But the thing about Philip, Stephen, anybody else who's gonna work for Jesus and follow his his leading, his eyes were open and waiting for the opportunity. He was paying attention. God sent him and he was ready. All right, I'm walking on the road. And I imagine he was looking, waiting for the opportunity. Where is it, Lord? You didn't call me out here for no reason. I know him by myself. And this is what it says. It says, so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem for worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariots reading the book, Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, I don't know about you, but if God told you to go somebody, doesn't give you any direct details, just says, hey, I want you to head out and you go. And as you're going, he's like, hey, I want you to stop and go stand near there. Let's say it's at the gas station. Hey, I'd like you to go stand over at pump number three and just hang out there for a minute. You'd be like, no, I'm not sure I'm gonna do that. But he does it. He goes over this chariot, never met the people in his life, but because his eyes are focused on God and paying attention to his leading, he goes and stands near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked him a question. What would you do if he says, go stand near it and this person's reading the Bible, what do you do? You're walking in the, hey, I want you to go over to uh, Zoon Zoon and somebody walks in and you're, you realize, oh, they're reading the scriptures. You're like, oh, they probably believe. You can get your coffee and maybe leave. He asks him a question because he realizes the opportunity isn't just to be near him, it's to engage the conversation because God would not have sent him there if salvation wasn't at hand. And he says this, do you understand what you are reading? Do you get it? Like you're reading the Isaiah the prophet. It sounds good. I know Isaiah the prophet. Do you know what you're talking about? Do you know what it says? And he says, how am I supposed to know unless somebody explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. And he was reading this passage. He was led to the, like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. It's Isaiah 53, seven and eight. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that passage to tell them about Jesus. 
This is so that we could, this should be our training manual. Full of the spirit, waiting for God. He leads us where we're supposed to go. Our eyes are open, waiting for the opportunity. When it presents itself, we go, we stand near. And in the conversations that we have, it's revealed what the person needs. And as we discern what the person needs, we take them from where they are and we use it as an avenue to tell them about Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of all the world. And then it says this, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, here's some water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And they go down to the water and they baptize him right then and there. Now there was most likely a caravan. I've always read this as though it was just the two of them. But because Philip called for the chariot to stop, there were more than just he and Philip there. And then when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, which is super weird and freaky, to be honest with you. Right, all the kids are like, that's super cool. We don't have context for this because that doesn't happen. Right, you don't go to Zoom Zoom, stand near somebody, tell them about Jesus and whoop, you're like gone. That's not how our life context is. But that's what happened. And then Philip appeared at Azotus and uh, traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And we'll pick up that a little bit later. So what does any of this mean for us? We have the lion in Saul, we have the serpent, we have the counterfeit in Simon, and a true conversion in this Ethiopian eunuch. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth. Well, I'm gonna tell you this. True faith is revealed through a changed life that wants to obey Jesus and make him known. If you're writing things down, that would be a good one. True faith is revealed not in the outward appearance of religiosity. It's revealed through a changed life. Somebody whose life was one way before and isn't that way anymore. And it's changing because sanctification, obviously, it's not like Johnny Marks, I became a Christian at 21. I'm not now looking exactly like Jesus, right? There's a process. I'm not saying it's instantaneous on the earth. Now, in God's eyes, the mystery of the gospel is when we have accepted the gift of grace through Jesus, we have full access to God. We've been made righteous by his blood. True faith is revealed through a changed life, and we could even say changing life, that wants to obey Jesus and make him known. The problem with with Simon was he was interested in making himself known. Right, and he did the thing, he said a prayer, he even got dunked. But his life was no different, his heart had not been changed at all. He was still concerned about power and being seen, wanting to try to wield the word of God and the power of God for himself, for his own glory. True faith is revealed through a changed life that wants to obey Jesus and make him known. A couple things, prayer, or praying a prayer is not the same as repenting of sin due to conviction of sin. Praying a prayer is not the same as repenting of your sin because you are convicted of it. When I prayed to receive Jesus, it was because there was a deep realization that I was broken and I had hurt God and hurt others. I was deeply convicted that the things I was doing was gonna earn me death. And I prayed and asked God for forgiveness, right? And I know that the culture in which we live 
in this part of the United States, there's a lot of praying of prayers. I have sat down with countless men and women who have said, oh, I prayed a prayer when I was. Now, the difference in that is the prayer may have actually been legit if it was repentance of sin, right? But just saying words in prayer form doesn't necessarily mean that you have entered into a relationship with God. Some of you may have that testimony. I said a prayer, but I didn't mean it. Simon was that way. Getting dunked to feel better about the bad decisions we make is not the same as declaring the resurrection of Jesus and identifying him as your Lord and Savior through baptism. The same way that this mother wanted so badly for her daughter to be fixed, she felt if she just got dunked, water, this water is not magic. There's not some magic that they sprinkle in the water when you get baptized that makes you clean. Jesus makes you clean. The reason that baptism is a thing is because we are identifying with the resurrected Jesus. And we're saying for everybody to see, this is our first opportunity to proclaim the gospel saying, hey, I used to be like this. Jesus has changed my life. And I want everybody to know. The eunuch wanted everybody to know. He didn't care who was present. The people who've been baptized, I am identifying with Jesus. I means that I may not have to be able to identify with my cultural norm, my people. There's risk involved to most people who identify publicly with Jesus. Here, there is no risk. You could get baptized, don't get baptized. People, there's no, you get baptized in front of people to proclaim the resurrected Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here in this country, anywhere in the country, you're probably not gonna have any problems but you do that public proclamation of Jesus elsewhere in the world and you could very well die. There's a difference in getting dunked and declaring Jesus through baptism. And the last thing is this, outward signs of godly living is not the same as humble obedience when no one is looking. I'm not talking about being perfect. We're all being sanctified. We're all being made like Jesus on this earth. But Simon was looking for the outward signs of godly living. Philip was going to go do what God asked him, even though he was not in front of the crowd. He was going to go and do and be what God wanted. So what do we do? A couple things, and then we'll be done, I promise. The first thing is that we need to share the true gospel, not moral Christianity. We need to share the true gospel. As parents, we are trying to get our kids to be good, not bad. That's reasonable. Kids, listen to your parents. Do what they tell you to do. The Bible says so. Obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, right? This is part of the big 10. But parents, your job is not made, it meant to be made moral people. Morality comes from knowing Jesus, right? And so it is our job to share the true gospel, not moral Christianity. Otherwise we are no better than the Pharisees who are whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. The second thing that we need to do is to make sure we are always ready to go where God wants and ready to talk to and share the gospel at every opportunity. Do we know the gospel? Do we know the clear gospel? That God created us in his image to be in an intimate relationship with him. And from the first man and woman to us now, we have all chosen, every single one of us chosen to sin against God. And it's our fault 
It's not God's fault. It's not his fault or her fault or their fault or my fault. My sin is my fault. We, we have to own it. But God says, hey, even though what you did gets you death and separation, I love you too much to let you stay away from me. So because you can't fix it, I'm gonna fix it. And because I love you, I'm gonna send Jesus, which is myself in human flesh, and I'm gonna live the life that you have to live to be with me. That sounds great for Jesus. But the true gospel is this, that he chose instead to change places and take the punishment that you and I deserve, which is death for the sins that he did not commit, but that we did, and offer his life as a ransom, as a payment for us. And it says that those who believe that would accept that to say, yes, Lord, I'm wrong, you're right, Jesus is the only sacrifice, I receive what he did for me, I'm gonna let go of my old life, I'm gonna walk in your ways through your power, please come live in my life, we take the Holy Spirit, we live with him, right? The gospel, it is not by your power, it is by his power that we have eternal life. Are we willing and able to ready to do that at every opportunity? The last thing is to remind yourself that Jesus is who people need to be changed, not fancy shows or elaborate or confusing presentations. Just give them Jesus. Just give them Jesus. We get in the way so often, and I'm sorry if I've ever gotten in the way, of you hearing the true gospel of Jesus. That what you're looking for, that piece of you that is not full and whole, that part of you that's looking for satisfaction and fulfillment will only be fixed and made whole and healed by Jesus Christ. I love that we have amazing people serving our church in music. I love that we have great coffee Praise God that there's coffee at church. I love that we have the ability to be creative and to be able to tell the wonders of God in all sorts of ways, and I'm for all of it. But if you only came and you heard about Jesus, it would still be enough. Did you know that? It would still be enough. What if we as God's people, full of the Spirit, made sure that we proclaim Christ everywhere that we went and that we were ready. We'd be able to spot the counterfeit and help people walk in grace and truth. That's the way Philip did it. That's the way the church did it. And that's how the gospel spread to where you sit today. My challenge and hope is that we all will take note of this and use it today and tomorrow and this week and every day until we die and that we would help our kids learn that Jesus is enough, and that if we proclaim Christ, then we can change the world. We can change the world. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask that as we transition to a time of prayer, God, that you would be pleased to draw us in. I'm gonna ask uh, those who help with prayer to just come up in the front here and that as we worship through these next couple of songs that um, you would come and receive prayer if you need it, that you would come to pray for somebody who needs it, and that through this time, God, you would be honored and lifted up. We thank you for your grace. God, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
So I pray that if somebody is here that needs to know you, God, that you would not let them go, but that they would feel your great love today. 